0: Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered, I'm Peter Lavelle. Foreign policy is rarely front and center in American electoral politics, however, Biden's NATO proxy war in Ukraine against Russia is turning into an exception, as long as it takes and blank checks are not going down well with the GOP base. Can Republicans afford to continue to support Biden's war? Cross-talking the GOP, I'm joined by my guest Lionel in New York. He is a legal and media analyst. In Miami, we have Nicholas Davies. He is co-author of War in Ukraine, Making Sense of a Senseless Conflict. And in Budapest, we cross to George Samueli. He's a podcaster at The Gaggle, which can be found on YouTube and locals. All right, gentlemen. Crosstalk rules in effect. That means you can jump anytime you want, and I always appreciate. It. Lionel, I guess a very simple question here. As I said in my introduction, foreign policy rarely plays, plays a big role in electoral politics in America, but we have a presidential cycle coming up, and the issue of Ukraine is in play here. It's in play very much in the Republican Party. We seem to have the elites very much in support of it, and the base not so much. Is this going to, if the war continues, is this going to be a wedge issue, Lionel?
1: No, the only thing that I will play in—and by the way, let me uh, backtrack a bit. It's very rare when you have left and right and whatever iteration this is agreeing on something. In theory, they believe in this disconnected kind of a psychotic thing called the war in Ukraine and supporting Ukraine. On the front page of the New York Post, there's a Ukrainian flag, and that's it. So they support something. They— problem is going to be from the GOP base is Where's the money going? How much is the money? How long will it—because it's a money issue. It's a fiscal. Democrats really don't know anything about it. They have this idea about freedom or something. They are less concerned. But it will not be a wedge issue. It will not be of any importance. The only thing—the only—because, remember, left and right are exactly the same. It's going to be, what about an accounting? What about uh, justifying where the money is going? Is it, perhaps, wasted? From the monetary fiscal point of view, that will be the, the, the focus of interest.
0: Okay, how about you, George? Okay, I agree with Lionel. I mean, that, that, that's the, the, the wedge issue that a lot, uh, many in the Republican Party, mean. where's the money going? Why is it endless, blank check, as I said in my introduction? But it's, it is a wedge between the elites and the base, and that's kind of important here. Go ahead, George.
2: I agree, entirely. I mean, I I, I don't. Uh, I agree with you, Pete. I don't agree with uh, Lionel. I think it is a very uh, big issue, and it goes much beyond um, where's the money going. The issue, as Trump has uh, laid it out, uh, that we're heading towards World War III. We're heading towards a possible nuclear confrontation with uh, another nuclear superpower, and we need to stop it. And Trump hasn't said, "Oh, where's where's the money going?" He has said, "We need a ceasefire immediately, and we need to bring this war to an end immediately." Um, that's he's blazed the trail among the Republicans. DeSantis is trying to maneuver uh, and to find out where he's going to go. Uh, Trump's opponents, the one who's going to uh, say, "Oh, um, you know, we, we're all the way with Zelensky," they're insignificant. They're going to be you kicked out of the race um, by the time we get to New Hampshire. Um, but I think it is a very big issue, and I think it will be a big issue in the primaries and in the general election, because I think, you know, I mean, Trump will probably be the the GOP nominee, and he is going to raise this issue that this is Biden's war. And um, and and I think it is going to be, I mean, if the war's still going then, it will be an important issue in the election.
0: You know, Nicholas, I find it really interesting we can go beyond left and right Democrat-Republican, you know, again, We have a presidential election cycle where there's an anti-war sentiment that is very, very real in the body politic. Now, as it goes up the chain of command, as it were, we have elites that that, uh, don't want to reflect that. Donald Trump in 2016, if you like him or hate him, it doesn't matter. But he did tap into that, and and people responded. And so I think it's very important that that we have some members of the GOP that are representing the sentiments of the grassroots. Now, because it's Biden's war, the Democrats are going to go along with it. They are always—Democrats are always in lockstep with each other, okay? But the further you go down the chain, the more people question these foreign adventures. Nicholas?
3: Yeah, pe- people are, and the, the the poll numbers are shifting in terms of the proportion of Americans who actually support a negotiated peace to bring this uh, horrific war to an end as quickly as possible. However— um, I just want to um tell your viewers about a recent Gallup poll. This was a poll asking Americans about quote-unquote threats to America and asking and asking them to, to rank them really. Uh so on eleven issues that people were asked about, the war in Ukraine ranked seventh out of eleven. And so so while when you ask people directly about it more and more of them support a ceasefire and negotiations well, I mean Nicholas if but I can interrupt this, this is very
0: this is very it's very important so what you're saying here sorry. because when you think about it the deluge of of uh, media coverage FROM THE the LEGACY MEDIA, ABOUT THE CONFLICT, AND YOU'RE SAYING IT RANKS SEVENTH. THAT TELLS YOU A LOT. AND MOST OF THESE MEDIA OUTLETS ARE VERY, VERY LIBERAL, IN in STEP WITH THE DEMOCRATIC PARTY. SO THAT TELLS YOU A LOT THERE. Uh, LIONEL, LET ME GO BACK TO YOU IN in NEW YORK. WHY why DON'T THE REPUBLICANS just, JUST SAY THIS IS BIDEN'S WAR AND BE DONE WITH IT? I MEAN, THAT IS A LANE THAT'S OPEN.
1: PLEASE LET ME CLARIFY SOMETHING, AND I DON'T disagree with my dear colleague George in terms of the issues. I'm talking about what is on the mind of the American voter. First, they don't know anything about this. If you told them, you know, there's about 800 military bases in 70 countries, they have no clue. Trump will not be the nominee. This is is collapsing. Before your very eyes, there is—I mean, the more he speaks—this is an aside, by the way. Things are changing drastically. Uh, It's going to be a a battle, by the way, between Gavin Newsom and whoever decides uh, that they're stupid enough to run for the GOP nominee. What the American people think has been generations and generations of the fact that we don't have anything to worry about. That's over there. Vietnam taught us nothing. We don't—when ca- I say we, the average Joe six-pack, middle-of-the-curve, kind of an undecided sort of eh, nominal voter believes that these wars always kind of sort of take care of themselves. Nuclear, and eh, theoretical, but that's over there. I say this not out of— out of a joke, but people couldn't find Ukraine on a map. That's critical geography. This means nothing. So what they do is they have this idea of supporting this this heraldic, this 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 um, romantic Zelensky with a T-shirt fighting. You've got, of course, you know the left in Hollywood coming in. So they believe this kind of a kind of an amorphous. Kind of idea about supporting something, okay, so, but so, deep down so, inside, so, so Lionel,
0: nobody's thinking about this. Yeah, well, they're just you're, so you, they're just all being lied to here. G- uh, George, let me go back to yes. you in Budapest. Um, you know, Lionel brought up a Vietnam. We could bring up um, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. We can bring up uh, uh, Libya. Um, but those were all on the periphery. This is toe to toe. If I could quote the the great film Doctor Strangelove. I mean, this is insanity going great powers going toe-to-toe as i've said many times in this program that creates an existential equation one power could and will lose george
2: yes that's right and and the record is surely that um the american uh, voters vote for peace uh they don't vote for the war candidate Uh, and the george w bush's wars in iraq uh, he barely won in 2004, questionable whether he even won. But in 2006, 2008, there was an overwhelming anti-war vote. Um, and that's really the, the record in uh, the United States. Now, so far, um, the, this war hasn't really hurt Americans. But, you know, if this continues, the the Biden cycle uh, continues inexorably towards a a serious collision with Russia, then Americans are going to really feel it. And that attitude of, well, it's over there and it's nothing to do with us, that's going to disappear very quickly. And and there's going to be a great deal of anxiety. And then the candidate who says, this is madness, we have to get off, he's going to be the winner. Well, Nicholas, and,
0: and,
3: but this, is got, preci- this is precisely um, why the media, the corporate media here in the U.S., have have presented a picture of the war to the American public that says this is a war that the U.S. is not in, directly involved in. They don't want Americans comparing it to Iraq um which is which is what medea and i just did um in in an article which we titled um <clears throat> the not so winding road from iraq to ukraine and but whether people are going to get that in time for the election um, remains to be seen, as long as they follow the the wall-to-wall coverage, presenting this as not really our business, but we're just trying to help these poor people in Ukraine. And as long as a lot of people still believe that, um, then uh, it won't have much impact on the election.
0: Okay, well, Lionel, real quickly, uh, you know, the—is this Biden's war, or is it, or is it a, a uniparty war? It's even
1: more complicated. We haven't even gotten to the part that—wait till—to use John Mearsheimer's word, words—wait till this—and America realizes this is going to be a frozen conflict. There's no resolution. There's no—there's no battleship Missouri or whatever it was. This is going to be the 38th parallel again. This is an ending. So wait—throw to that into the mix you're going to have a dysfunctional rump state maybe this thing called ukraine which 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 wants to be part of the west which implies nato involvement which russia has said absolutely not explain that to people this is going to be North this is going to be Korea all over again. There's no cessation, there's no finality. Throw that into this cosmic Well, we're going to we're
0: going to consider that issue as we approach the break here. Gentlemen, we're going to go to a short break and after that short break, we'll continue our discussion on the GOP in Ukraine. Stay with RT. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lobel. Duran, you were discussing the GOP and Ukraine's. Okay, let's go back to George in in Budapest. We entered the first part of the program looking at a a possible prognosis on how this conflict was going to end in Ukraine. I will express a very different opinion. Um, It will be definitive, okay? That's why Russia is continuing this conflict. It's not looking for a ceasefire, it's not looking for an off ramp. It's going to continue until Ukraine is completely demilitarized, denatoized and um, we'll have a government in power in Kiev that is not hostile. That's going to be the outcome, George.
2: Well, I I don't know whether that will be the outcome. I think that's the Russian objective. Um, But I do agree with you that um, the frozen conflict uh, possibility is out the door. Um, the United States is all in, and they're not going to just allow a frozen conflict uh, to stay there and just—and then, okay, we'll we'll give the Russians a break for five years. The Biden administration believes that they've got the Russians on the run. That's what they believe. I'm not saying that that's the correct view, but they believe they've got the Russians on the run, and then they just need to keep pouring in more and more and more, and eventually they're just going to bring Russia to its knees, uh, affect a regime change in uh in Moscow maybe the oligarchs will throw putin out that's i think the way they're thinking so there isn't going to be the frozen conflict that we had in nagorno karabakh or in uh in georgia i think it's it, it it's all the way uh through to the end and that and what you the, the way that you've outlined it Peter that may well be the final outcome it'll take some time before uh we reach it um, but uh, you know the, that that whole the Georgian solution or the Nagorno-Karabakh solution or Transnistria, I don't think that's a possibility in Ukraine.
0: See, George brings up such a good point, and I'm, I, my question was being intentionally very provocative, okay, to kind of uh, to uh, uh, pull this uh, pull the thread on this here, Nicholas. My my point in this here is I'm uh, going back to great power struggles. I mean, during the Cold War, it was proxies on the periphery. Um, no major—the Soviet Union didn't feel the uh, any Im, uh, imminent American attack. The United States was never imminently going to attack the Soviet Union. But now the Biden administration has set it up where it is toe-to-toe with major powers, and neither is going to uh, back down. And that's what makes this so very dangerous, that on top of it, you have a regime in Kiev that is willing to send its young men into a meat grinder, okay, have its economy completely uh, collapse, turning into a failed state, okay? The, and— and, and so I don't see, and this is why I'm so worried about this as this conflict goes on, that neither side is going to back down. There is no win win here, Nicholas. Um, yeah, well, the, there was a win-win on the table in March.
3: Uh, it got as far; it reached the point that uh, President Zelensky in Ukraine went on national TV to basically announce it to his people and um, to reassure them that he was not giving away the store. But it was they had reached in a matter of weeks uh, a, a resolution that was acceptable to both sides, which involved. Uh, Ukraine giving up its ambitions to join NATO um, and committing to not host uh, uh, Western military forces or missile missile batteries on its territory. And in exchange for that, Russia was willing to withdraw, um, you know, from all the territory that it had occupied since February the 24th. It's hard for me to see, frankly, that even as the war has escalated well beyond uh, where it was, and um, the U.S. and NATO have got more directly involved since then, and hundreds of thousands of people have been killed since then, since the U.S. and U.K. persuaded uh, Ukraine to, as Boris Johnson put it, to stop talking to Putin and concentrate on defeating him. So... As far as I can see, um, that that basic, that basic uh, framework for an agreement, nothing, nothing that went into that has really changed. And um so I think far from being a frozen conflict, there the really the really needs to be, for the sake of the people of Ukraine and the people of the whole world threatened with nuclear war, there needs to be a genuine resolution that both sides sit around a table and agree that they can live with. Not, not like um, well, the Minsk agreement that the West never intended to comply with, um, but a genuine resolution that that takes everybody's um
0: genuine interests. Well, that's, that goes back to the very beginning. And, and Nicholas, before I go to Lionel here, uh, Zelensky wasn't persuaded. He was ordered, okay? He was told not to do it. That's to, ordering a sovereign country, we're told, um, uh, not to invo- uh, engage in a process of saving its very existence, okay? With, yes, friends, I, like, I with, with friends like <laughs> London and Washington, Kiev doesn't need any enemies, okay? Uh, Lionel, I'm glad that Nicholas brought this up. Because we already know what the Russians want. Everywhere. What's Putin thinking? What does Russia want? It's, it's, all, it's patently obvious. It was made known in December, uh, months before the conflict. Have a European security architecture that involves Russia. that is not against Russia and does not exclude Russia. This is patently obvious. The, the blueprint for peace... For a peaceful settlement in Europe is in front of our eyes now, but Washington re- fails to respect that. Lionel, looking at the initial, if you will, the
1: prolegomenon, the you know the preface of our discussion today, you asked about how is this going to impact GOP elections, or whatever in 2024. Now I'm I'm talking about this now from an election point of view versus what you're saying, and you everyone here is 100% correct in terms of a path to peace what is going to happen regarding the election is as follows number 1 keep in mind most americans don't understand nato usa they don't know what nato is they don't understand the eu they don't know brussels they don't know Na- it doesn't it's this they're the good guys somewhere somehow okay they're over there What Biden is going to do, what the Democrats are going to do, is they're going to claim victory, victory, peace with honor, whatever you want to call it. They will order their statist sock puppet media to announce either that the the war, the conflict, the military operation is over, that Russia's been trounced, that Zelensky is victorious, and we are going to make some kind of a— of a tacit or implicit withdrawal or something, some form of cessation and victory which the very gullible voter will believe after having been saturated with a media approach that says, it's over, good news, the war is done, we're finished, let's move on. Meanwhile, what the rest of the world knows What you know, what you think and what you read is going to be completely different. There needs to be this cessation. And here's the best part. Left and right, Democrats, Republicans will both celebrate it because it's time to move on. This is not the subject that American voters are going to be really hanging on to. They think about it existentially, perhaps, in the rearview mirror. What America's worried about is crime and taxes and and this weird kind of a crazy society that we're living in. So, what's going to happen is—remember, you heard it here first—there will be this declaration of either cessation, victory, whatever, that will completely uh, contradict reality But as far as we're concerned here, the voting or the voter and 2024, it'll be fine. Let's just be done with this and move on, because this is a theoretical issue that most Americans think about, but don't stay up late Worrying about it. And well, Lionel,
0: you know, going back to what Nicholas said, you know, with the the initial uh, peace proposal that uh, we had a few weeks after the start of the conflict, that scenario could have worked out with what you just said right now. But George, we're way past that point right now because George, the objective is regime change in Moscow. It has nothing to do with Ukraine. I can't see how they're going to call this off, George.
2: No, I, I don't see how that can uh, work at all. And if Biden did try to do that, or we've got peace with honor, he will be absolutely pummeled from all sides, uh, from all of the Republicans, and that would involve the, all the, the interventionist hawks like the Mitch McConnell and uh, McCall and all the Lindsey Graham and the rest of them, as well as the uh, kind of the uh, anti-interventionists like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. They're all going to pile on Uh, Biden, he's not going to be able to pull this off as a kind of peace with honor, because after all, when Nixon did the peace with honor in 1972, it did look like a peace with honor. It did look like America had achieved its objectives. Here, as you said, Peter, the objectives are they want to get rid of uh, uh, Putin and they want Russia to collapse and disintegrate. Um, They're not going to be able to pull off and say, you know, losing half of Ukraine and say, hey, we won, we pulled this off. So I don't see how that can work.
0: Yeah. I mean, Nicholas, it would have to. The only way it could possibly work in the most uh, imaginative unicorn universe is that, well, you could say we won because um, um, uh, Moscow didn't make it to Paris. I mean, I guess they could go that path. Go ahead. I mean, I'm serious. Go ahead. They,
3: well, they, they certainly could try that. Um, I think what what most Americans don't realize, of course, is that the last time the United States actually won a war, unless you count recovering small neocolonial outposts like uh, Grenada, Panama, and um, uh, Kuwait, uh, I think they're probably the only ones— um, other than that, the U.S. has not won a war since 1945, and, the, and they really only won that one because um, they were allies of the Soviet Union who did most of the fighting. Um, here, once again, we have a war in which uh, others are doing in really all the fighting. And um, I, I think little by little, Americans are realizing uh, that, they're, they're not being told the truth. But at what point, at what point, what will it take for this to rise from number seven out of 11 threats to America in a nationwide poll? At, at what point will this actually really take hold as, as something that Americans actually see uh, their their own existence as being threatened with, in other words, nuclear war. We, I mean, we have dismantled the entire right. structure that that was developed after the Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, I, I, with, unfortunately, with, gentlemen, we've run out of
0: time, but Nicholas's ending point about arms control is one of the greatest casualties of the last few years and one of the reasons why we are where we are right now. That's all the time. I want to thank my guests in New York, Miami, and in Budapest. and want to thank my viewers for watching us here at RTC. See you next time. Remember, crosstalk rules.